immediately see. Uh, if you get a pop-up in the middle of your screen, just hit it and say okay, so that the pop-up is you've approved that you're going to be able to be recorded. So here we go. like to be the first person to wish all of you a Shana Tava for a beautiful new year of health and happiness. Um, we start in September, uh, pretty much with our programming, and we go September to September. So, uh, I always consider this the first program that we begin. With. I'm going to also um, ask you now to mute yourself if you don't mind, so we don't have an interruption. Um, and I'm going to go again and share my screen, and I have something very special uh, which is appropriate for having um, two uh, children and two survivors of the Holocaust with us to present today. I've met them about six months ago. The ability for them to be resilient, to be persistent, to always strive for being the best they can be and to bring the best of them to their own communities is something that is just beautiful for me to have witnessed. And so I'm going to start the program with you, Jackie, and Sammy in mind with the following. Sorry, hold on a second. Let me do this one more time. Please understand 
So I want to ask everyone again to um, mute yourself so I can make it easier on me. I'm going to be uh, doing that. And I'm going to be introducing our first uh, presenter, Jackie Gamash. Uh, Jacqueline Sempa Gamash has spent a lifetime committed to the furtherance of Jewish culture. She's a native of Tunisia. Mrs. Gamash is a curator of San several San Diego-based Jewish events among them the renowned San Diego Jewish Book Fair. After acting as the director of the initiative of Moral Courage Initiative at SDSU, San Diego State University, she initi initiated the Middle East, North Africa, USC Shoah Foundation Institute new collection. Jackie's most recent contribution, which she's definitely working on today, and we'll see much more of that today, 
We are the Tree of Life, an initiative and an educational tool. <clears throat> mission is to present the arts and the culture that we were created during the Holocaust. She's the, also the author of a book from Bambolini to Bagel, the story of two worlds, and her current novel, Antipathenary of Love. You can pronounce it better than I can, Jackie. The Call of the Scroll. It's available on Amazon. So we want to welcome have a warm welcome to Jackie Gamash, uh, and uh, Jackie's going to start the program a little differently. Uh, she's going to have a song for us. So Jackie, please uh, take away that you have the mic, so go ahead. It's a song, it's a life. Umikayami is barbacri. And the flew ten shut clay. Utradali of Turi. Umikayam is barbecri. The love of a mother in Arabic. And my trip was to go to Paris. Oh, je voudrais, tant que tu te souviennes. Des jours heureux où nous étions amis, en ce temps-là la vie était si belle, et les chansons... She muted herself by mistake. Sorry, Jackie. Can you unmute yourself, Jackie? I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Okay, I'm going to take it in Israel. Avirarim salul kayain verehachoranim nitsaberu aharvaim im kolpahamonim uftardemat ilan basela shvuya bachaloma Ayr asher badad Then getting married in Paris. Tumbala 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 laika tumbala 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 laika tumbala laika spielbala laika tumbala laika freilers all sein. Born in Tunisia, moving to San Diego in a week. I had to find the help and I had to find the blessings. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where does my help come? And if you know, please join me. Where did I find my blessing? In Debbie Friedman's, who was a very, very close friend, from the Genesis 12.12. To her land and I will show you. To a place you do not know. 
On your journey I will bless you and you shall be a blessing you shall be a blessing thank you sheila thank you lynn i see you singing with me and you shall be a blessing you shall be a blessing I'm joining you in 20 seconds. Very nice. Thank you so much. What a beautiful uh, rendition of, of, of song. Uh, it is so uh, wow. So we're going to now take have uh, Jackie present. We are the tree of life. Here, I sang to you what was my life, and you can see very fast how my life is defined through my first names. Jacqueline, Nana, Ronnie, Jackie, Semcha, and this is when I was the newborn, probably the age of the story that I'm going to share with you, to what San Diego did to me and brought me to a different look, if I can say. My program is, I want to say thank you to the Jewish Culture Holocaust Remembrance, to say thank you to Jeffrey, and to say thank you to each of you for being here. Uh, I just thought about bringing Holocaust education with performing hearts. And a number of years ago, I just thought about the following word. In those days, music notes were silent. On this day, the music will be heard. In those days, drawings were hidden and invisible. On this day, they will be seen. In those days, literature was voiceless. And on this day, life story, words, and poetry will be read. Born in Tunisia, I wanted to show you it's in part of North Africa, uh, Tunisia, Morocco, Algeria, Libya. And uh, I'm going to bring at the beginning how I was getting through my life experience to go to We Are the Tree of Life. I developed at UCSD, uh, at USC Shoah Foundation. I was the founder of testimonies from the Middle East and North Africa. And I wanted to, you all know that, that the, the meeting and the encounter between Hitler and the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem planning the final solution, the final solution of the Jews, wherever they were coming from. We didn't really have that. I based my life about who saved a life, saved the world. That means one life is one life and is the representation of one world. But what happened to the Jews of Tunis was, in fact, that they were taken, most of them, close to 5,000, in fact, to working camp. And you, this image presents that very clearly. General Rommel was from November 1942 to May 1943. But I am not a scholar. I am not an historian, but from what I have learned, I want to make the point that we had German soldiers. We didn't have 
SS in Tunis, in Tunisia. An order, an avi, that means was asked for the population to gather together and that they, everybody between the age of 17 to 50 will be taken to working camps. And of course, they have to accept that. And if not, the consequences were horrific. I want to tell you one story, which I think illustrates my thinking and my approach to what was the Holocaust between Qatar in North Africa, in Tunisia, in Tunis, because that's where I was born. And the difference, whatever, of, of the consequences in Europe. Okay, the red arrow shows you the apartment where I grew up. It's a most recent photograph. And I was two years old. I was playing with a nutcracker. You have the image here. I have the real nutcracker in my home here in San Diego. And as the age of two, as I say, I dropped the nutcracker from the top of the balcony up. What happened here? To the bottom. Uh, and when the, but, the nutcracker was landing, it landed on the head of a German officer who started immediately bleeding. My grandmother noticed that and she got so scared that the first action was to say to my mother and my aunt who were in the apartment to go in hiding somewhere underneath the bed. And she was expecting and she saw the general, the German soldier entering the building. Suddenly, knock at the door. She gets scared. She opens the doors, but at the same time, she grabs me, take me up and starts slapping me violently, I think, hard. And the German officer was saying, please, this is a kid. She didn't do it on purpose. Please stop begging my mother to stop doing what she was doing just for our own security and own safety. And the man left. And we stay basically in hiding for three to four weeks. That means the other story that I would like to share, and I am doing all that very fast. If you have any question, you can contact me later. It was a Saturday afternoon, early. My father, who was a very recognized and renowned dentist in Tunisia, uh, went to clean up his office on a Saturday afternoon. And a similar story, knock at the door. He opens thinking that it is my mom, but found himself in front of two German soldiers, one of them holding his chick and saying, oh, yeah, 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 I am in pain. And the other one explaining through an English that my father know, knew that my father as a dentist has to take care of this soldier. And my father say, you know, uh, I'm, I'm close today. And one of them takes his gun and put it again his head and says, you are going to take care of my friend. My dad take the patients, says, sit in the dental chair, observe the tooth, the gums, and knows that the, the tooth has to be removed. 
but he's scared and he asks a number of questions, of course, like any doctor will do and say, tell me about you. And, and finally, the gentleman say, I am hemophiliac. You are hemophiliac and the fear enters my dad who say, I remove the tooth, he's going to bleed. What am I going to do? Out of the blue, the phone rings. It is my grandmother. And my grandmother say, what happened? You look tense, you sound tense. What's happening with you? He say, this is my story as of now. She said, don't worry. I said, mom, how can I worry? And she said, okay, you know, there's the little Ali downstairs. We always had the kind of help with little boys that we, I think, did respect very, 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 very nicely and had very good relationships, send him to the shuk, take a little bird, he brings you back the little bird, and do get remove the feather that you have on the leg of the bird, and then take immediately the warm muscle of the bird and place it on the opening of the gum when you remove the tooth. He said, mom, you know, she said, do what, as I said, he did. And that saved his life. The two men left and finally disappeared. And my, in the same situation, my father had had to hide himself a little bit for a number of the week, not knowing what could be really the consequences of that. This slide is an end because it's out of the time. We were in 1942, and uh, I want to tell you the story uh, to show you the difference between what happening in a place like Tunis at the same years, where we had a kind of security, but losing one life was is the most awful thing that can happen to a Jewish community or to any communities in the world, in fact. This is Marcus uh, Bronya, the parents of my husband, David Gmash. And uh, this photograph has been taken in 1939. This is the card that uh, uh, Marcus Ma Gmash was allowed to write after being in Drancy and you can see here where he was. He was the number 3385, totally at the top of the card, uh, cham chamber three, uh, stair number six in the camp of Dancy. And you can see how the writing is small and the leading is also very tight to be able to tell the life that he was living then. He was taken to Drancy and he's in Drancy, you know, that was the place that I'm sure you all know when they had the Velodrome d'Hiver uh, taken over the Jewish community by the French police. People, people, the Jews with family and only a suitcase and their children were sent to Drancy. And many of them were then sent to the Mont Valérien, the image below, where in fact David's father was shot against the wall. To relate a little bit about my life and what I am, 
I have lived in terms of uh, my Jewish identity, in terms of my Jewish stories. And um, I got married in 1968. I lived in France for a number of years, and I taught at the Cole Aberdement. We are talking a lot about anti-Semitism today. Anti-Semitism, and today I want to talk about anti-Semitism and racism. But on the one day, being a science teacher, I taught physics and chemistry, uh, in fact, in my life for 26 years, I entered the classroom of that école Albert de Main, the school Albert de Main, which was a Catholic school and basically run by a clergy. It was having secular programs as well as um, religious programs. And one day I entered the class, it was the time of the black blackboard, and I don't know how you say lacré, but whatever, you know what you were writing with. <laughs> the chalk, 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 that maybe that, that. And it was written, Hitler avait raison, mort aux juifs. I was almost fainting. And immediately, I don't know how I found this reaction, I took a pen and I tapped my desk constantly for 45 minutes. Tapping the desk, I asked one of the students to come. And, you know, a teacher can create trouble to a student. That means it's easy to find a sentence, an approach to an exercise where you know that the student is not going to find the solution. That means the kid was at the blackboard and I was constantly tapping and I didn't say anything. And I say, okay, you don't have the answer, you fell, go back to your seat. And I did that taking one student after the other. At the end, I asked them to sit down there and to wait. And I went out and I asked the executive director of the secular program, as well as the director of the religious program to come and meet me in the class. I asked one of the students to read what was on the blackboard. Hitler avait raison, mort aux juifs. Hitler was right, deaf to the Jews. And I said, what do we do? The clergyman answered, you know, it's not the fault of the students. I said, no, whose fault is that? He said, it's the fault of their parents and their families. I say, oh, you are aware of what's happening there. He stay silent. And I say, you know what we are going to do? We are going to have once a month a class taught by you and me. You about religion and myself about physics and chemistry. I don't know what it did, what was the impact of this attitude, but whatever. Um, I, I put those, this, this coming in, in the Coronado Bridge, thinking maybe I can bring a little bit of fun with my experience in San Diego. But you know what? I'm going to pass it. And if you want to hear about it, uh, as uh, Jeffrey very nicely said that I was uh, the founding director of the San Diego 
uh, Jewish book fair. If we feel like it, I will tell you one of the stories of my life with Tova or with the gentleman in the middle or with Daniel Delois. That means allow me to skip that. But I'm going to talk about my, the presence of my play El Piano in San Diego. I'm trying to play piano. I'm taking classes and some of my piano students friends are here. Thank you for being here. And the story of my piano is the story of a player. Uh, the player is what we call the Chopin piano, because it was the first time that Chopin asked to have a piano with a metallic structure and not a wood structure. That means my parents left in 67, and this is another story about how they left, but we'll see in the question and answer or another time. And uh, in 70, 1975, they received not notification from the Tunisian government that people could come to their, back to their home and take some of their furniture of some of the assets. Of, evidently, uh, the bank account was not available and uh, the real estate owned by Jews was not available. That means my father selected a number of things. I was with him in my apartment in Tunis. And I said, Dad, I want the piano. And he turns towards the, the, the custom officer in control of what the Jew wanted to take out from this place. My father said, we want the piano. And the custom officer said, no, no, you cannot have the piano. I said, why? He said, because it's a player, you have to understand, it has to stay in Tunisia, it's, a, it's an asset for our country, it belongs to us. And my father said, you know, respectfully, yes, it belongs to us, it was in Tunisia, but I bought it as a birthday present for my wife, and as you, in 1936, sir, you cannot have it. Of course, you know, we are Tunisian and, and Muslim and a Jew, and we argue a little bit. And finally, the guy says, okay, Dr. Natav, if you show me the invoice, you can have it. And my father said, repeat that. If you show me the invoice, you can have it. And my father said, okay, open his drawer from his uh, desk and take the invoice that I place on this image and the piano is today in San Diego, and it is um, not a reward, it is a comfort for me, because it is almost a symbol of understanding. And if we find the element, the fact, which can make things work together, they can work together. And then I am taking you basically just now only to the tree of life. Okay, again, born in Tunisia, grew up in France, love Israel, came to San Diego, tried to settle, tried to work, and the synagogue shooting of the tree of life on October 27, 2018. Honestly, I was horrified. I was devastated. Because the, the attack against the Jews, I was aware of it. I know it was happening. It's, it happened for this last 2,000 or 5,000 years, in fact. 
Masada. <laughs> but to say a young country made of immigrants, three, four, not even five generations, can get into such a horrific life, horrific situation, the death of people, I, I couldn't understand. And then I decide to educate my granddaughter, Yvette, who was 10 years old then, and say, I am going to tell her about the Holocaust. I am going to, uh, my, my daughter, my middle one, the mother, Rebecca, was a little bit against it. But I say, I will take the approach that we need to take for a kid. And we did. And I was explaining that. I was explaining the kids in camps. I was explaining the performing arts, that they were singing, but uh, unfortunately they were killed. And after 10, 15 communications, uh, phone communication, Yvette sent me this image that she drew. Seen by Mercer Lynn, I don't know if you're familiar, and I hope you are familiar with his work, the Defiant Requiem Foundation. And I say, Yvette, what is that? She said, you see, Mimi, 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 Grandma, you were talking about a tree. A tree, I think, has always very strong brown dark roots if you don't take if you take care of the tree the tree is going to grow up have beautiful leaves beautiful branches and be brown and everything will be fine if you dis don't take care of the tree you don't give it enough water those are her words by the way not enough waters the branches can break and the tree is not going to be well and I say, yeah, I, un I understand that. Uh, but Evie, what are those little green circles that you have designed? Oh, Mimi. Sorry? It works or not? Yes. Granddaughter did it. All right. Someone, please yeah, my granddaughter did it. Please After those phone conversation. And I say, what is, what is those little circles? She said, Mimi, that's what you told me. I said, I told you, I think the leaves of a tree have a shape, but they are not circles. She said, look, Mimi, you have to understand. And again, I emphasize that. Basically, I'm not sure I am interpreting a little bit, but basically they were her words. And I said, and she said, Mimi, you know, sometimes I go to school and somebody bullies me, or I am sad, or something happened. And when I go home, I realize that I have my mom, I have my dad, I have my brother, my sister, and I feel better. I mean, it's like a circle, Mimi. That means when you talk about a circle, you know, it's like things is bad and things is good. And Isn't it what you say that survival is? Isn't it what you say? Isn't it what survival is? I hang up and I say, we are the tree of life. I will say, are you, I, not all of you know me, but few of, me, of, of people in attendance know me. Uh, I, I always try express what I feel intimately. 
I think part of the success of We Are, the Tree of Life initiative and project, is the We Are. That means as Yvette, my granddaughter, felt part of it, the people I have been working with felt part of it. And through the drawing, the music, the butterflies, the colors, I thought about associating that with the performing arts. Why? Because performing art is, in fact, a message of peace, unity, and love. But also, when you consider the inmate who was in a camp, and I will illustrate that a little bit, was in a camp or we was in, in a ghetto, and using his skills as a performing artist, as musicians, as um, as writers, as a dancer, you can find that skills in you, which brings you the resilience, the courage that were mentioned prior my presentation. And I would today transfer it in the same way to the person who is in trouble today can find these skills in himself, this love inside himself to find the same uh, peace, unity, and love. And I think those are basically keywords for our world of today, as it was for the world of the past, where we, we didn't really not perform the way we wanted to. That means we develop a, a movie with two people, Clint Burkett and Lynn Cable, a movie of 72 minutes during the period of COVID. Those two people for whom I have the devotion and the respect that you cannot imagine were not Jewish, are not Jewish, and they wanted to get into the project. I assume by compassion for Jewish communities, but at the same time, I assume for a better understanding of themselves. If we have the time at the end, I will show you this trailer. If not, you are going to see. That means what I want to do is education with performing arts. Who helped me to do that? Steven Smith, executive director of the Shaw Foundation, the Defiant Requiem with Mira Sedlin and Peter Yarrow from Peter, Paul and Mary. In 19... In 2019, the beginning of 2020, before the COVID, I was able to develop this movie within, you know, have Something all the... Eva told me about. Oh. Yeah, but yeah. she said it's actually on Zoom. Right, right. Uh, how much time do I have, Jeffrey? Do you know? Just keep going. Okay, keep going. Okay, that was, uh, and, and I want to mention two people that you, or three people that you don't recognize. This is Francesco Lotoro. Francesco Lotoro was born uh, in Italy, lives in Italy, Christian, and at the age, and I think 30 years ago, at the age of 20, 25, he understood to understand the experience of the Holocaust 
and the music of the Holocaust. I mean, he started to search for compositions, scores written during World War II in camp and in ghettos. He found 8,000 musical scores and uh, he worked all over the world. And today, and uh, to the compliment to, to him, he has the support of the government of Italy to create a cultural center related to the Holocaust. This lady here is the wife of Theodore Bickel. And Theodore Bickel, as you know, survived the Holocaust and sent all our culture for music. And the other lady is uh, Lauren Burns' father, the executive director of uh, the Holocaust Center of Pittsburgh. Those are images that we took a little bit from the movie to show you. I know that Eileen is in the room and Eileen is a violinist, many are violinists <clears throat> of the San Diego uh, Symphony and she's part of one of the performers in our movie. Again, what is the movie about? And I, I, and I took just three things, the art, the writing, uh, and uh, this, I'm sure you heard about Elga Weissova. I know you heard about the visual arts and the work of the kids in Terezin. But I brought this image because when she was 14 years old and entering uh, the Terezin with her dad, at the last minute her dad said, draw what you see. And I thought it is bringing almost transcending reality for some of the work, some of the work that she did. Like she designed in December 1941, first picture in Terezin. It's two kids, a boy and a girl with a snowman. Oh, how does that work in the head and the 14 years old? Later on in 1943, she survived Terezin, by the way. She said what she wants is to leave Terezin and to go to Prague and to return to her home. And that's the way it was her birthday wish. And that's the way she illustrates her work due to the fact that do what you see. And that relates to when you send a message to a kid, you never know how he's going to perceive it. And, and, and it's with uh, proud, honor, that I say that we are the tree of life emanated from the creation of a 10 year old. And this 10 year old was my granddaughter, as you know. <laughs> this is another image that I wanted to bring to you. It's Samuel Bach. I don't know if you, this is my favorite artist in the world. And what I think that Samuel Bach, and I will illustrate with one or two sentences through this image, you all recognize the rabbi right and the kid shown in most of the holocaust centers and physically is well defined but next to him there's somebody similar you see the hand here i don't know if you see my cursor but the hand here and the hand here which is damaged which is broken the face is not identified that means it can be anyone anyone from the holocaust anyone from today we've an unbalanced stone sitting on a big stone with cracked stone 
And what I love in Bach is that he knows how to bring the destruction of the Jewish culture, Jewish history, but still with an implementation that the survival is going to remain and that will be here. I'm going to make you listen. To, you all know that. He was in the Vilna, Vilna Ghetto. That's it. This is something that uh, you, you can find the song anywhere. Uh, Alexandra Zapruder. Alexandra Zapruder, uh, many years ago, I, I would say probably 10 or 15 years ago or more, I don't know, uh, wrote a book, Salvage Pages. She was wondering if it was only one diary of Anne Frank, or some, some of her kids had written diaries during the war when they were in a situation of kind of survival. And she did discover that a number of them did, and she put all of them in a book called Salvage Pages. That means we have stories which have been told. I apologize if I don't let it go all the way. I am from Tunisia. I talk a little bit too much, but whatever. And uh, here it is. This is a sketch of a teddy bear that my father gave to his brother for his fifth birthday, just as they received their visas. And this is a map of the path my father took to escape Europe, from Antwerp through France to Portugal, and eventually onward to the United States. My father's name was Joseph Strapunski, and this is his journal. We're doing this Kickstarter project to help preserve hundreds of first-person accounts and diaries and journals in the permanent collection of the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum. Anne Frank is one of the most well-known Holocaust diarists. Her account of her life in hiding is known worldwide, and she is just one of millions of voices that were silenced. Not all of them are household names, and that's why we're doing this Kickstarter campaign here at the museum. What's so remarkable about my father's journal is the details that we wouldn't otherwise know. There are moments of everyday life in extraordinary circumstances. What happened? I don't know. Bum, bum. Uh, you are frozen, no? No, try it again. Just hit the, hit the... Okay, hold see on. The, you see the play sign on the bottom corner? What, what? I can get out and get in? No, no. Just hit the play on the bottom corner of the, the very bottom. You see it? Hit That's that. that show the challenges and consequences that. of being refugees. Drop it. Yeah, but I don't go to the other one suddenly. What are you trying to do? Don't just. Keep... I'm going to the next. Trying to go to the next slide. 
right, hold on a sec. Stop your screen share. I think I think it's better if I get out and come back. Just stop your screen share. I'm gonna. No, open it's up. on. It's on the bottom left corner. There are little two arrows. Keep going, all the way to the left, 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 all the way to the left, right left. there. See under the word regime. Yeah. Little, there are two arrows. That's the one. It's okay. To preserve these. Thank you. Thanks. Okay. Thank you. That was Avi, I'm sure. Right? Yes, it was. <laughs> okay. Now another another example, and that how we are doing the dance. Uh, I'm sure you recognize Marcel Marceau. You know the mime that everybody knows, uh, who was in the resistance. And uh, at the age of uh, 17 or something like that, 17, 18, and did uh, created the art of science. That when the reason he thought about being a mime and expressing himself without any noise is because he was uh, in the resistance and taking care of little kids. And he wanted to show these kids how to share what they were feeling or what to share what they wanted to say, but full sign and remain silence and remain safe. Uh, this is Tammuz who is expressing that, and I'm, I'm not doing the full uh, presentation, but some of it, and you will recognize the kids walking on the table or whatever. Okay, I think I presented the, to you the tree of life. We are the tree of life. This is Alan Markovitz, who is an IMAX filmmaker, and Clint Burton, who are working very, very closely, and who, who are helping me to understand with so many domains. One, the domain of the technology that I don't understand anything about, the domain of how we take my educational tool, we turn it into uh, number of series and that's what we did we have a number of series with the following title music research anti-semitism holocaust survival and uh, we all will get into the youtube channel very soon last year i was able to present those different events with the support of the gcc preview of the long movie the searching for the lost music Jewish and non-Jewish composer, transcending reality that I show you, and the art of silence. This year, I'm happy to say that the GCC, and it is a community-wide initiative, we are going to have another dance of the Holocaust with a participation of the attendees, a program on shoes and the Korean documentary, the docu-series, and on the wings of songs. How did all that happen? I want you, I know you are grandparents, I know you are parents, I want you to motivate your children by saying peace, unity, and love and belief are the solution. This is the uh, photograph that I found just recently at the Alliance Israelite Universelle, a school, Jewish school in Tunisia, and this is Madame Saban. Madame Saban was my first teacher where I jump from being a tomboy who at the age of 14 could not talk, could not write, didn't want to go to school. And when I met her for the first time, she said, 
Jacqueline, si tu veux, tu peux. Jacqueline, si tu veux, tu peux. If you want, you can. Please, in the difficult step of education with all your loved ones, and, and not your loved one, whatever, teach them. Teach yourself. It works. If you want, you can. If we want, we can. This is our two images of I'm sure you all heard about Eva Eager, a family tree, a family tree. And this is a family tree by one of the local artists. And the pieces of paper are pieces of paper from the Mein Kampf book. If you want to reach me, Jack Igmash, we are the treeoflife.com. But before you reach me, I want to share something with you because I'm leaving a little change. I think I still have five, seven minutes, right? I have a close friends, very close friend in Paris, and Annie. Her daughter, Karen, was in Romania. And when in Romania, and she met a family of three kids, Pavel, musicians who just had left Ukraine, to go to Romania and to secure their life over there. When the daughter of my best friend met them, they said, she called her mom and she said, mom, I met this family over there. I don't know, it's so sad. They're just escaping from Ukraine. What do we do? And the mother says on the phone, bring them to Paris. I mean, the mother buys plane tickets and take the family to Paris put them in a studio that she had and take them to join the Purim party last year at the synagogue of Montevideo. And the guest rabbi of the synagogue de la Victoire is the great rabbi of Kiev, and it created another connection. That means my friend Annie is taking care of this family and helping them the way she can. As she has a granddaughter, by the name of Fanny Hanna. This is the French girl, the Parisian girl, 13 years old. What's the name of the Ukrainian little girl of 13 who loves to sing? Hanna Fanny. She's 13 years old and she has an operatic voice. Uh, one of my relatives is Nathalie Dessay. I don't know if you heard about Nathalie Dessay, but she's one of the top opera singers in the world. She doesn't sing anymore, but she's taking care of Hannah Fanny to make her a success in singing and how we are bringing that to the world of Ukraine. Few days ago, two, two, two or three weeks ago, we received a call. And I was in my family room. My husband picked up the call and he said, No. I look at him. I said, What's happening again? No. And he said, You are sleeping in the house. No, you are sleeping at my house. The person who was calling was 
the grandniece of the person who saved David's life during the war. And she was visiting San Diego with two other children. 14 years old, Tobias, and I told him the story of the tree of life and he designed this tree on the left. And I say, why do you have a swing? He say, because for liberty. The other one, Cassandre, Tobias and Cassandra Lana, again, they are the children of the grandniece of the person who saved David's life in, uh, during World War II, said, I said, why do they have all colors? Why the leaves are not all green? She, goes, she said, because it's for people, and people have all different colors. And that takes me to the fact that we are the tree of life has for me developed in a different way. And I wish I will be successful at that. Again, my Evie, you didn't forget my Evie, right? Who designed the tree. She was in my home uh, um, for the vacation in June and she drew that. And I said, what is it? She said, a oh, guy. I say, he looks strange. She said, yes, he has good times and bad times. And I say, you know, Evie, I am thinking about Adam. And she said, why are you telling me that, Grandma? And I say, because Adam was the first man in the world, right? The first, the first one, Genesis 1 to 5. And I explained a little bit to her. And, and I say, it's with a capital when you name him. When you don't name him, he is with a minuscule. He's a human being, he's one of us, he's mankind. That means we, he has a responsibility. And she said, why don't we call the painting Adam? It is Adam, Grandma. And I thought to myself, from courage, resilience and survival, we cannot permit another humanitarian crisis. Enough is enough. We should not limit our challenges it has to be a together effort, an humanitarian effort, and an humanitarian miracle. Sorry for the accent. <laughs> if a tree can embrace another tree, oish, bemet. I know that Sami is going to talk about bemet. Why a person can embrace another person. Tree of life, you and I, we are the tree of life. Courage always finds a plan to a whole new circumstance. And would I put out your fire? If I saw the chance Your troubles Can I soften A double truth in front of me But am I you If you ain't me And are you sure someone is In your tree Say joy Can you replace the chair While we're just Sitting there To talk and to hear the joke and hardly afloat the gates of hell when can we fold 
I, uh, we'll do that another time. Uh, here we have the We Are the Tree of Life trailer, which is uh, two minutes and something. And uh, here you have my contact. Easy to remember. If you remember Jack Igmash, We Are the Tree of Life. Feel free to call me, to email me, and to. I, I, I love to talk off the phone and I love Zoom. Uh, do I have the time to show no. the trailer? No. Two minutes? No. We'll do it later. I didn't do for my 45 minutes, but that's fine. <laughs> okay. If it's no, it's no. We're going to say no yet. We'll do it later. Okay. Okay. Thank you all. Be well. Be safe. And let's together. And let's individually to try to make a better world as per Elie Wiesel. Toda. Thank you. Toda. Thank you, Jim. Thank you. Thank you. Beautiful. Uh, and we will play. Thank you. But a little bit later. Can uh, Yael please. say hello to everybody, my yes. singer? Yes. Please. Hi, Yael, Jackie. Jackie, very interesting talk. I Thank was you. very interested to hear all of it. Thank you. I wanted to introduce you to Yael, but she's probably gone. Yael, are you here? I'm here. I'm just on the Put, ah, voice. Okay. This is my Yael, my artist. Yes. Oh, <laughs> nice to Thank meet you. you. Thank you, Sherry. Good yeah. job, Mom. I love you. Love you, too. Great job, Je Jackie. Je Jeff, we cannot hear you. You're the only person who cannot be heard. Okay. There's a really good reason for that. I don't have a voice. Nothing. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me? Very now? faintly. All right. There's a real good reason for that. I don't want to get into it, but I, I lost my voice. So I'm doing my best to have whatever voice that I can use today. So please bear with me. Um, we have a lot of great speakers. I feel honored that I don't have to talk today, but I do want to uh, take a break from something, something so powerful from Jackie's presentation. And before we to get to, um, uh, to Sammy's presentation. So I want to uh, have Ava raise their hand so everyone can see you. And I want to tell you, uh, I'm going to share my screen. Um, Ava and I did a uh, keepsake uh, diaries interview. And I want to play it for you. It's only a, just a short time. Um, it's a very, very important message that Ava um, is going to bring to us. And I want to encourage all of you, if you have a personal keepsake that means something to you, that please contact me. You can contact me in chat. Um, and we want to get your personal keepsake recorded. So listen for this. Hi everyone, this is Jeffrey Geisner for the Jewish Culture and Holocaust Remembrance Group. I'm here uh, to present the Keepsake Diaries, a new channel for the group. I'm with my really best friend, Ava Maremi, who's been a huge supporter and one of the founding participants in the Jewish Culture and Holocaust Group. And welcome, Ava. I'm so happy to be able to have you as a founding member of the Diaries. Keepsake Diaries, and I know you have a couple uh, keepsakes that you, are really special to you. One of them is looking over your shoulder, which is a Torah, 
So I'll turn it over to you to have you share what the memories of the year Torah keepsake. Thank you, Jeffrey. Uh, thank you for the introduction and for inviting me. My mother, Elena, or Itza, as she was called by family and friends, together with her parents and her sister, were deported to Auschwitz, also known Auschwitz-Birkenau, the largest of the Nazi concentration and death camps in Poland. It was 1944. In Auschwitz, there was hunger, starvation, death, diseases, and brutality, and my grandparents were immediately sent to the gas chambers. My mother and her sister survived the Holocaust, and they returned to their hometown of Pleshivets. After the war, an elderly, observant Catholic woman, Mrs. Balaj, stopped by to see my mother carrying a bundle in her arms. I rescued this during the war, she said, and I know that it is sacred to the Jews, and now I want to give it back to you. To my mother's surprise, she unwrapped a few rolled up Torah scrolls and handed them to my mother. She explained that during the war, the synagogue in Pleshivets was ransacked and the Torah scrolls were thrown out on the street. And when nobody was looking, she picked them up. They got dirty, she said, because I picked them up from the street, but I wrapped them and hid them. My mother wanted to know where did she hide the Torah scrolls, and Mrs. Balaj explained that after she wrapped them up, she hid them inside a pile of straw under her pigs in the pig style. <laughs> she did not think that anyone would find them there. My mother was very touched receiving the Torah scrolls, thanks to the courage and kindness of this woman. And in return, she gave Mrs. Balaj a few meters of fabric for a dress. The Torah scrolls were carefully wrapped by my mother in a white damask tablecloth and remained with my parents throughout their life. The scrolls even traveled with them from Czechoslovakia to the United States. They consisted of six large fragments, each fragment measuring a few feet. And these fragments may have been from three different Torahs, but each missing and incomplete. My parents were in their 90s when they passed on the Torah fragments to me, their only child. And today, each of our three children have a framed Torah fragment in their home in memory of their grandparents and great-grandparents to always remember and never let the memory of the Holocaust be erased. These Torah fragments are professionally mounted. They were professionally mounted and they are housed inside a clear protective acrylic cover, as you can see behind me. We gave one fragment also to my cousin, my aunt's son, my aunt who survived with my mother. 
And another fragment we donated to our synagogue in memory of my parents with the story. This is a reminder that once there was a Jewish community in Plashivets. And my husband and I have the remaining Torah fragment. And to me, these Torah fragments are very mm -hmm. meaningful because they are a connection to my grandparents whom I never met. Thank you. Well, it's terrific. So I wanted to ask you, when did you hear that your mother and father had this Torah and, and brought it to the United States? So when did you learn that it was available? I always knew that we have a Torah, but I really didn't see it because it was wrapped up. I was a child and it was the Torah scrolls were wrapped up in this white damask tablecloth and safely put away in a closet. And the same thing happened after the when they emigrated to the United States. My mother just kept it safely in the closet. One day they invited a friend who was a rabbi, who with his help, they opened it up and they looked at it. And I did actually the same thing, but so they kept it. This, the rabbi said that it's in pretty good condition, but my mother wrapped it up again and put it away. This was among the very few things. There was hardly anything that remained from my grandparents. So this was something that connected her back to her hometown and to her parents and to the Jewish community. And when they were ready to move into an assisted living, my father asked me, why don't I take it to my house? So that's when my husband and I brought it to our house and we kept it wrapped in that white damask tablecloth until a few years later when we decided we have to do something with it. And now it is... Uh, in each of our children's homes, as well as ours. Now, did your children know the story of the, of the Torahs as well? The children know the story, and the children grew up, they were very close to my parents, so they knew many stories of what my parents went through the Holocaust. Now, you mentioned that I know that you're from Minneapolis, where I'm where I spent a good amount of time. Which synagogue in Minneapolis did you donate it to? We donated it to Darche Noam, which is a modern Orthodox synagogue in St. Louis Park. Very nice. Okay. Well, I want to thank you for bringing this tremendously memorable uh, Torah scroll from the Holocaust, which is just beautiful. And your story is also uh, so beautiful. So thank you for participating in the Keepsake Diaries. And to you, Ava, thank you again. It's a beautiful, a beautiful keepsake story. Again, anybody who has something memorable that they'd like to share um, with the world, uh, these will be uh, recorded and put on um, their own channel for everyone to stream. I also want to uh, now transition the program back to our next guest, which is Sammy Steigman.
And Sammy has been many things. He's been a victim of the Holocaust. When he was liberated, he became a survivor. Now he's an emotional, he's a motivational speaker. Sammy's experience is invaluable. Few people on his earth, on this earth, have gone through the atrocities he has faced when he was just a child. And he was able to transform himself from a victim into a social action agent. Learn about Sammy's story and how he can help you. Sammy is dedicated to reach as many young people as he can nationally and internationally. He promotes tolerance and hopefully they will make a better place for our world to live in, our children and their grandchildren. His advice to young people, never give up, never lose hope and enjoy the life you've been given. Never be a perpetrator. Anyone that hurts another intentionally and repeatedly is a re-perpetrator, he says. But most importantly, never, ever be a bystander. The greatest strategy in human history, the Holocaust and all of the genocides happened because the world stood by and did nothing. By a bystander, you are part of the problem. He wants you to be part of the solution. So I wanna welcome Sammy to the program. Uh, Sammy, you have the mic and I'm going to take a minute to prepare your um, PowerPoint. So hold on a second for me. Uh, Jeff, since the time, okay, is uh, plenty of time. relatively short. No, so no. what I want to do is I just show only two uh, slides. Uh, the first one show the first slide, okay, and uh, the second and the second one is my parents and I when I was a baby. That's it. Okay, the rest of it I will just uh, talk about it. Okay, so first of all, I have a very difficult uh, act uh, to follow after Jackie, uh, I will try to do my best. Uh, number one, I'm a Holocaust survivor, which means I was in one of the three types of camps. All of you are familiar with concentration camps, uh, labor camp, dead camps. In the 1991, another group of people were recognized as Holocaust survivors, the hidden children. Uh, I'm also a child of Holocaust survivors. Uh, I am a motivational speaker. I'm also an Israeli, and I served in the Israeli Air Force from 1962 to 1965. As far as I know, uh, I am the only Holocaust survivor that instead of emphasizing my personal story, which is a personal story as uh, compelling as it may be, uh, my emphasis is to talk about the Holocaust. How did it happen? How is it possible that ordinary people, not only from Germany, but from other countries, from Europe, all over the world, found that not only acceptable, but required to annihilate one group of people, the Jewish people. And it is, uh, so I go through this, everything that started, uh, started slowly, step by step by step, uh, until it reached a point of no return. Uh, I start with the end of World War One, with the Treaty of Versailles, uh, where there were three severe punishments against uh, Germany. And uh, because also of the inflation, uh, they lost their national pride. Uh, to give an example, and I was very surprised, I just came back from uh, Germany. Uh, Germany is the only country in the world okay, that 
uh, has taken full responsibility at the same time teaches in every school and in every class. And I mentioned something that uh, most Americans do not know, but in 1917, one American dollar was worth four German money. In 1923, at the height of the inflation, one American dollar was worth one trillion. And I was extremely surprised that they knew about it because they teach him and all, all the details of what really happened during that time. Uh, there, uh, obviously, uh, it started with words and bullying. Uh, you can bully a person, you can bully a group of people. Okay, and uh, we, uh, I also want for the, the young people to learn from history because I want them to be able to recognize the signs of today that can lead to other tragedies and to know how to combat it. Uh, there is a, uh, you know, we all went through to the COVID-19, but there is a virus that is much more dangerous, and that is the virus of bullying, bigotry, anti-Semitism, hatred, racism, and ideology. It cannot be eradicated. It will always be there. It just will take different forms depending on the technology. Uh, the only way that they can do it is only through education. And uh, that is my mission in life, is to educate the next generation, to motivate them to be the best that they can be, to empower them to become upstanders. Holocaust and all the tragedies in the world, genocide, have happened because the world stood by and did nothing. And I also want to teach them about tolerance, and the tolerance, uh, and to me means to accept other people's opinion, uh, other people's culture. Okay, uh, another word that I use for it is respect, self-respect, respect for other people. Uh, when I'm talking about the, the history, uh, I also have to mention Joseph Gables. Joseph Gables, and we have something today, okay, that is extremely dangerous it's very powerful for good but it's also a very powerful tool for hate uh, this is the social media but joseph gable said something very interesting a lie told long enough becomes truth and there are a lot of people okay leaders of our country uh celebrities uh we have uh you know, many people that, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, young people will follow these uh, celebrities and these people in power. And uh, by using the wrong words, the young people do not do the research. They will repeat it, and that becomes part of the truth. I'll give you two examples. Uh, somebody said that there are concentration camps in this country, in the South. It's a complete lie. And I don't want anybody to make comparisons to the past. It's just to learn from it. Uh, first of all, uh, there are, it's not a concentration camp because, number one, the people that are in the South, although they live under difficult conditions, 
have not been deported. Okay, they are taking care as much as they can with food, okay, clothing, medical care. And at the same time, the threat of daily death does not exist. Call it whatever you want, detention camps, whatever. Okay, but don't call it, please, concentration camp. That is trivializing, okay, what happened during the yeah, Holocaust. Uh, also, when I'm talking about the past, I'm talking about uh, four different periods of times. Uh, okay, I'm talking number one, uh, when Hitler came to power, his initial goal was not to murder the Jews. His initial goal was to have a Germany free of Jews, Juden frei. Okay, uh, the Germans, I would say they were geniuses when it came to propaganda. And uh, the, the Jews, okay, considered they were assimilated, considered themselves Jews, fought for Germany in World War I. They lived there for centuries. Why would they want to leave? That's why they came right now in 35, they came out with the Nuremberg Laws, where they took away their citizenship. Uh, uh, basically, uh, uh, they put them in uh, ghettos. Uh, doctors could not uh, practice medicine. Uh, teachers could not teach. And they could not go to school, could not participate in sports. So it made it very difficult for them to leave. And quite a number of them left. But where did they go? They went uh, to Europe. Okay, and they started to put them in ghetto, to isolate them. Uh, but interestingly enough, they were not violent yet. Uh, as a matter of fact, the first uh, concentration camp in Germany, uh, which uh, the first concentration camp in Germany, which was Dachau, they did not target the Jews. They targeted the communists. Okay, and it so happened that a lot of them, a lot of the communists were uh, Jewish people. The second event uh, that we have to remember, okay, uh, was the 1938 Kristallnacht. But I want to say something, with the uh, Nuremberg laws, even today, I was surprised, Germans are law-abiding citizens. And in the law, they said, do not associate yourself with your former Jewish friends. And because it was the law, they felt patriotic not to associate themselves. Okay, and they isolated. And as you can see, step by step by step, they made it very difficult. In 1938, in Kristallnacht, after they annexed uh, Austria, that for two days, November 9, November 10, uh, they murdered 100 Jews, destroyed uh, over 7,500 uh, synagogues and stores, and put in prison 30,000. The uh, other uh, important date is uh, September 1st, 1939, when they attacked former, uh, when they attacked Poland. But unlike Poland, okay, which was occupied. Uh, I mean, unlike Europe, which was occupied, Poland was annexed and became part of the greater Germany. And now they did not want any Jews in Germany and they found in Poland 3.3 million Jews. What do you do with them? And that came, this is the point that I want to make, January 20, 1942. In a city which today is part of Berlin, Wannsee, 15 high-ranking Nazi criminals, 
got together to decide the final solution to the Jewish question, which today we know it as the Holocaust. And they started with Europe. They came up with a list of all of the European countries, 11 million Jews. And this is what something very few people know. Uh, once they were going to accomplish their goal, murdering all the European Jews, they were going to open up a museum in Prague, and they were going to call it the Museum of the Extinct Jewish Race. And this is somebody recently, I don't uh, attack people personally, I don't use names, but you know who I'm talking about. Somebody said that the Holocaust is not about race. And the danger that it's done by uh, celebrities, people in power, by using the wrong words, okay? Uh, young people will not do the research and they will follow them and they will repeat it in social media and that becomes eventually the truth. Another interesting thing that I want to say, uh, uh, among the 15 high-ranking Nazi criminals, there was one particular person that was not part of the decision makers. He was the one that implemented it. And that was Adolf Eichmann. And Adolf Eichmann in 1944, okay, in only two months, deported 437,000 Hungarian Jews to their deaths. And I use them as an example of the efficiency of the Nazis in their collaborators to murder 11 million people in such a very short period of time. Uh, I also make the connection between the Holocaust and Israel. I found out when I was even in campuses, most of the young people have no spiritual connection to Israel. And uh, I'm saying that during the Holocaust, Jews died because they did not have a country. On Yom Zikaron, our National Memorial Day, we remember the people that died for us to have a country. And something else that I also talk about, the importance of the state of Israel for the Jews in diaspora. In 2015, because of the rampant violence in France, 8,500 French Jews emigrated to Israel to find a safe haven. Uh, there is a lot more that I can talk about it. The time is short. I will allow you to uh, ask questions. Um, but I am also, for instance, I wanted to know, uh, I'm also a motivational speaker. I uh, had, I'm talking to the kids uh, about two challenges. Not only that, however, came it. I don't want them to feel sorry for me. But what I want to do is uh, I want them to learn from me under no circumstances should they ever give up, should they ever lose hope. So number one, uh, in 1996, okay, I became homeless. I live today under the poverty line. Okay, I am uh, one of the 40% of New Yorkers that live under the poverty line. 12,000. Uh, my monthly income, the official income is $1,993. And if you know New York, you know, for uh, you cannot get away with a breakfast for less than $30. But I'm still a very happy person. I, uh, you know, whoever knows Hebrew will understand what I'm saying. 
Sameach Bechalki. I'm very happy with my lot. And the other challenge is I have a son, I have two grandchildren, and I'm unable to see them and to be in touch with them. And uh, how do I overcome it? As a matter of fact, I mean, uh, Jackie okay, just uh, mentioned the name, okay, uh, Edith Egger. And uh, Edith Egger, okay, coined, okay, something that's called uh, Prisoners of Our Own Mind. I never read her book, The Choice. But when I was in uh, San Diego, I found out that uh, she is in uh, La Jolla. Okay, somebody gave me her book and I want her to autograph me. And eventually the host, okay, arranged for me to be in a panel with her. But I started to use the same thing uh, without reading her book. I started to compare the brain with the computer. And little by little, about two years ago, I started, uh, how did I become, how did I uh, overcome uh, being a prisoner of our own mind? The people that put me in the position of being homeless uh, were personal friends, people that I trusted with my life. And I have many reasons to be bitter, to be angry, to be revengeful. I'm not neither of them. And I did something that two things that are happening in this country that I'm unhappy about. Number one, people have forgotten how to disagree in a civil way. And uh, I teach the young people about dialogue, what the dialogue really means. And uh, at the same time is, uh, if you listen, pay attention to the news, nobody, okay, is accountable for anything. Nobody is responsible for anything. It's always somebody else's fault, circumstances. In my particular case, I, in my particular case, I decided to take responsibility. And I said, you know something, I made two mistakes. Number one, I gave them cash. Number two, I did not put anything in writing. So they are, took advantage of my uh, stupidity. So therefore, they are not guilty. And by doing that, all of a sudden, and uh, uh, accepting the past, uh, accepting the fact that uh, I had to forgive myself, I had to be kind to myself. And all of a sudden, I became a free man, and I don't need to blame anybody or circumstances and i am just able to move on with my grandchildren uh, all of us have a need a want if you have if you fulfill it or not it's no big deal it's okay but a need must be fulfilled my need is to teach and to share and when i give a presentation i speak to the young people or so something right now with you that gives me the opportunity okay, to fulfill my need. And when I go to schools, I tell them for the hour or the two hours that we are together, whether you know it or not, okay, you become my substitute grandchildren. And that allows me, okay, to move forward. And that's what I want to teach the young people, okay, uh, to learn, okay, not to be stuck in the past. There is nothing you can do about it, it's gone. Okay, uh, I made so many mistakes. I call them experiences. I've been with a lot of experience. If you'll ask me, I don't even remember most of them. You know. Okay, so you made a mistake. Forgive yourself. Move 
forward. There is so much more that I can take, but the time is uh, short. I am here at the, the uh, uh, as you can see, at the Holocaust Museum and Tolerance Center in Glen Cove in uh, Long Island. Uh, they have right now uh, the uh, exhibit uh, of uh, 14 portraits of uh, Holocaust survivors. I'm one uh, among them. So I've seen some people are coming to me, you know, asking me to come down. But I'll be with you for probably for another 10, 15 minutes. So if you have any specific questions, okay. And by the way, it can be questions on any subject that you want. I, uh, if you will go on my uh, website, uh, uh, semispeaks.com, under the press, you will see that I answered questions two years ago and. Uh, and then the, uh, I mean, when there was the International Holocaust Remembrance Day, uh, I answered questions for 16 hours straight. Uh, you will also see that although I live under the poverty line, I have a foundation under the blog. You will see that in Togo, in Africa, uh, there is a center for tolerance that bears my name, Sammy Steigman. I mean, since I started to speak in 2008 for the first time, Okay, everything that happened is a miracle. And I want to mention one other thing. When I was in the labor camp with my parents in Ukraine, in an area called Transnistria, uh, uh, I was subjected to medical experiments and a German woman saved my life. Obviously, the doctors did not come to my parents. Okay, they did not know, I did not know. But when I applied for the compensation, Okay, I received in, in 2004, I received uh, 2,500 uh, euros. Okay, uh, but it's not the amount of money, it's a recognition, okay, that they admitted that Nazis, okay, medical experiments were done not only in uh, Germany. Uh, the reason that we were deported by the Romanians is because on June 22nd, 1941, when the Wehrmacht attacked former Soviet Union, uh, behind them were the special killing groups called Einsatzgruppen, and behind them were the Romanians. And they annexed Transnistria, Bukovina, Basarabia. I was born in uh, Chernovitz, Bukovina, and that became part of the Greater Romania, and that's why we were deported by the Romanians and not by the Germans. My father being uh, born in Romania proper, in 1946, the Romanian government allowed a small group of Jews to repatriate, and my father decided to choose the lesser of two evils, and he went back to a small town in Transylvania, and that's where he grew up until 1961, when the whole family finally, after 12 years, got the visa to go to Israel, and in 1968, I came to the United States by myself, without money, without the language, and here I am today. <laughs> so thank you all. Okay, there is so much more. But uh, uh, if you, uh, when you will go to my website, additionally, except on the mobile, you will also be able to download my whole presentation. As a matter of fact, I believe I'm the only one that gives away the presentation to the students before I give my presentation. I want them to know the basics. I want them to have it, okay, so they can learn later on to remember what it is, uh, talk to their parents, uh, to the teachers, whatever it is.
And uh, I, when uh, I have questions, when it comes to Q&A, uh, I, I expect them to ask me probing, challenging questions. Okay, thank you for listening. And thank I'm you. very honored to be here. Very honored to be with uh, Jackie, obviously with Jeff. Okay. So anybody has any questions? Hold on a second, Sammy. I want to bring everyone back into the... Pardon me? Hold on a minute, please. Yes. Okay. I want to have anybody who has a question and we have um, Jackie. You can, they can also put it in the chat and then it's easy for me to see it. Can do that as well, but I can't see it. So, is anybody okay? Avi, go ahead, unmute yourself and ask your question. Sure. Um, beautiful presentations, as always. It's a short one because uh, I just wanted to respect the, you know, uh, the right. time limit that we have. And maybe Jeffrey should consider, you know, having each of these sessions be one presentation instead of two. That way, we can get into depth for each one. Um, but, but my question to both you and Jackie, and one of the things I've been encountering a lot as, as I do my work in this particular field, is how do we make the Holocaust more relevant for those who are not connected to it like we are? You, obviously, Sammy and Jackie, both of you, as I, I'm a child of Holocaust survivors, my father was in Auschwitz, my mother was in the DP camps. You know, we come to this very personally. How do you make it relevant for someone other than telling the story? Because the stories are magnificent, but you know, a, an urban African-American kid who lives in Overtown, Miami, you know, he'll listen to your story, but it has no relevance. How it's not about the Holocaust. It's a personal story. I understand, but but even so, it's it's not relevant to them. Correct. How do we make it relevant? That is the real, okay. you know. Well, challenge. very good. The one way is the way Jackie does it. Okay, through art. Okay, in different ways. What I do, for instance, is when I go to them is I have decided to talk about the evolution because it's extremely difficult to understand how is it possible that ordinary people found it necessary, required to annihilate one group of people. It's difficult to understand. And by learning from history, by going with them step by step by step, how they isolated them, how they portrayed the Jews as rats, uh, explaining to them why they portray the Jews as rats, not the different animal. In all of these little things, going step by step, how they isolated them and everything else, they can relate to it. And by learning from history, they can learn uh, how to combat what's happening today. By the way, I don't like the word anti-Semitism. Okay, because there are three groups of, yeah, one second. There are three groups of people that are Semites. Uh, the Jews, Arabs, and Ethiopians. When you use the word anti-Semite, it's actually against Jews. So therefore, my preference is to use the word anti-Jewish, anti-Jew. Uh, it's against Israel. But who lives in Israel? Jews. Okay, they don't call it, even when they go against the Jews, they don't call them, uh, we are against Israelis, we are against the Jews. So anti-Jews would be, in my opinion, 
the proper word to use, and we have to use the proper words and to be very, very specific. Exactly. Yes, Jack. Exactly. Yes, it's it's a very, very, very difficult question. Okay, I think the first thing that I will think about it's to create an evaluation of what we have done. And I have presented that fact many years ago at an international conference at USC. And I ask the attendants, I say, we have to evaluate because, and I apologize for my words, but I feel them, we have failed. I have failed. We were not, by bringing the history of the Holocaust, able to create, again, they are not my words, the words of Elie Wiesel, to create a better world. That means, one is to do an evaluation of what all those institutions have done and see how we can adjust them. Two, for me, it's by taking the situation of today in a very, very, uh, approfondi in a very, uh, you know, French Avi, in a very deep learning, in an approfondi, uh, go deep on it, it and say, I love the Shoah Foundation, I work for the Shoah Foundation, we have all those testimonies. How do we gather them, perhaps per subject, per geography, per whatever, per age to take it? And after that, it's probably to see the 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 fusion on the in the jewish culture of some of our cultures of jewish education in some of our cultures and i think it's something very very important to bring the jew i totally agree with the semites aspect and uh, and you are absolutely correct but to bring the identity of the jew with some of our identities and maybe the one of my next point is ridiculous it's how can we do that as educators and eliminate all the politics around that okay jews and arabs following and, and i let you do that jews and arabs live forever for two thousand years okay in tunisia in tunis Okay, we had some programs, we had something, but we were able to do it. What makes us today in a difficult situation where we cannot perform it as well as we would like to? Yes, Avi. Uh, uh, before I leave, I'm sorry, I have to leave because yeah. they're constantly coming, bothering me. But I want uh, uh, just to say something. I am planting a seed. Yeah, I will not see it in my lifetime, but hopefully maybe it will be accomplished, okay, throughout many decades. Now, just like in, in Passover, we sit at the table with friends, with children, we read the story of the Exodus, uh, we uh, have debates, okay, uh, commentaries about each passage that we read about it, and we have to feel that we were actually liberated from slavery. Uh, in, in Hebrew, uh, Mitzrayim has two meanings. Uh, number one, it's, uh, you know, the land, Egypt, but it's also spiritual, it's Mitzar. Every word has a root, 
the word Meitzar is constrained. So we are also are liberated from the, the internal constraints that we are putting on ourselves. But uh, what I want to do as a Yom HaShoah, to have something similar to the Haggadah in every language, in every country, to sit at the table with family, with the children, talk about the Holocaust, have commentaries, and feel that all of us have been liberated, okay, from the Holocaust. So it's a seed. A lot of people will have to be involved. Uh, obviously, I will not see it in my lifetime, but uh, all of you can, okay, can plant the seed also. Like you said, life, the, the uh, tree of life, Okay, so each one of you can spread the wood and everything else, and hopefully something will happen. So I'm very sorry that I have to leave. They keep bugging me. Okay, they keep, uh, but uh, Jeff will be very happy uh, to give you my website, okay, the PowerPoint, and also my telephone number, my email, anything that you need. And if, if you want to know more information, you want to bring me to wherever you live, to your school, campuses, or whatever, synagogues, Chabad, I would be very, very honored. That is basically my life. Okay, that is uh, Thank you, my life. Thank you all. God Avi? bless. Thank you, Jeff. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. you wanted to say something after that I saw uh, Mr. Bye. Newhouse. I want to take a second. Yeah, Mark, Mark wants to say something. Yeah. For me? I do. I, I was a classroom teacher for 32 years. I also taught college. Um, I, rem I remember a very interesting incident. My, uh, my wife is not Jewish, and my father-in-law, they're from England, and they survived the Blitz in England. And one day, my father, who was a very difficult human being, decided to get into a big argument with my father-in-law. And the argument was basically that nobody suffered like the Jews. When we play victims and we say that nobody else suffered, we don't get people to listen to us. It's fine for us to talk about the Holocaust here in isolation, but as a classroom teacher, with very limited time, how do you teach about the Holocaust? Well, you teach about it as genocide, as hate, as bullying, and you don't isolate the Jew, but you explain how the, you compare this to all the other genocides that have taken place and are taking place. One of the biggest mistakes I think we make as teachers is that is we give token recognition. Give you a simple example, and I won't take long. My mother hated Mother's Day, absolutely hated it. She hated the idea that one day a year she was taken out with everybody else and she would see all these old ladies in wheelchairs and, and, and on walkers. And she would say to me, Mark, Mark she'd always call me Moxla. She'd say, Moxla, Every day is Mother's Day. In other words, what really effect are we having with Black History Month or with Women's History Month, okay? The fact of the matter is, it's fine for us 
here to focus on the Holocaust because we have, with the choir, but if we want to preach to outside the choir, we have to find the universal themes, the universal thread that makes it relevant to every group, not just to Jews. Avi? Yeah, so I, I of course agree with you, Mark. The, the problem once again, when you speak to people in, in terms of genocide, Armenian genocide, uh, North Korean genocide, Syrian genocide. The people we're talking to, the students you were talking to are not necessarily Armenians and they're not necessarily Syrians, but they are black. So why not talk about the black soldiers who Absolutely. liberated the concentration camps? They're Absolutely. Catholic. Why not talk about the Catholics who were rounded up as, as Sammy said, the first you know, the first camp in Dachau rounded up most of the Catholic bishops because they disagreed with Hitler and the Nazi regime. And they were rounded up and sent to Dachau and many of them were killed. How many Catholics were murdered? How many gays Absolutely. were killed in the Holocaust? How many disabled were, were killed? How many dissenters were? We have to start teaching the Holocaust in ways that they can relate to. I totally agree because with you. Because they cannot relate to the Jews if they're not Jewish, and they can't really relate to the, to the Armenian genocide if they're not Armenian. And so unless we start finding ways to relate to their personal, individual belief systems, relevance to them, then it's just a historical lesson like any other history. There was a world war. There were two you world said a, wars. You said the key word, Avi, which is historical. It's, the minute you say historical, even the schools, even the schools themselves place res, less relevance on histor, history than right. they do on math and on science. Right. In elementary school, every kid pulled out for math remediation, or any remediation came out of social studies classes or science classes. And I will tell you something, you hit it right on the head. If you teach it as a historical event with no relevance to, to what's going on today and to all the groups today, you, you're teaching the wind. I agree with you 100%. Right. I, I want, I want, I want. Uh, if I can share something with you, as part of we are the tree of life, I didn't mention it. I am going to develop a San Diego City Council concert with the chamber group, very well known in San Diego. And what we are going to do, we are going to have a chamber music coming from the life of Olivier Messian. And Olivier Messian was a Christian who was in a German camp in Poland and compose when he was in this camp, what we call the quartet de la fin des temps, that means the quarter of the end of times, where there's an implication of the Christ. That means this is the Christian man who is suffering like a Jew next door could suffer like him. And the other part will be that at the same time, when Olivier Messian was in this camp, 
okay? He uh, was not aware of what was happening in Assise, one city of Italy uh, where the clergy was saving the life of the Jews. That means here it's bringing through, we are the tree of life, and through uh, a Christian, devoted to his Christianity, the story of the Holocaust. Now, the other point that I was making, which is taking me out of the Holocaust, how do we teach the students of today? I have been in education for 63 years. I taught different film, but let me share with you a funny story. Born in Tunisia, I was very family oriented. Every Saturday, Sunday, we were 45 aunts and uncles and and that means the family concept is very important to me. I moved to San Diego. My kids went to college at the age of 17. My Bronya came when she was 12. She left at 17 and boom, whatever. Mother's Day. The gentleman was talking about Mother's Day, right? I take my phone and I found a bouquet of flowers and say, Happy Mother's Day, Mom, a message, a message on my phone. I couldn't swallow it. See, I cannot believe that. That's the way she tells me Happy Mother's Day. I mean, I pick up the phone and I say, Hello, Bronya. Yes, Mom, how are you? I say, Oh, hold on, hold on. Somebody is at the door. And I will illustrate why I'm saying this story. Somebody is at the door. And she said, be careful, you don't have anybody coming to your house, which is true. <laughs> and I said, no, no, don't worry. And I come back to her, pick up the phone and say, Bronya, thank you for the flowers. She said, which flowers? I said, I don't know, I just got a box with beautiful flowers and your name. She said, mom, I didn't send you Oh, I see what you are saying. It's not true. I said, no, of course it's not true. And she said, I'm sorry, ma'am. She's answered, I am sorry, ma'am. From that day, every Mother's Day, every birthday, I have flowers coming through the mail to me. Why am I leaving that? Because it should, we have to find a way to educate and to transmit our message of peace, of unity, of love, of no anymore genocide, no anymore humanitarian harm within the modern appeal. And we are doing it when we are doing Zoom. But how do we take that to a point that not only the young or five years old, but the adult, or as the little tree that I showed before, any person of any color, of any religion, can try to understand it. We have to change our way of working. This is my point. <laughs> can I tell a fair story? Yeah, of course. I mean, it's Jeff is the boss, but All I know right. that he, has, he cannot talk that story. Very fair all right. When I when I first started teaching, I was teaching in Brownsville, New York, which was a black ghetto area. And I was living in Whitestone, Queens. Anyway, I was taking over a teacher and he would do a spelling test. And the way he would do the spelling test was he would give this students the letter scrambled up. And so the first time I did this test, the letters were A, T, R and S. And the clue was 
something you see at night. Well, I took home all the spelling tests and I marked every single one of them wrong because they wrote rats and I wrote star. Right. But you think about that little lesson that I learned very fast. It explains to one, one of the most important things I think, which is we can't teach them as if we are the same as they are. In fact, just the idea of they is wrong, okay? So we have to change our perspective. Exactly. I learned very, very quickly through some very interesting lessons that the group I had was teaching was very different than me. Does that mean we can't reach them? No, we can reach them, but how do we reach them? What do they listen to? When I talked about the Holocaust, I included with other genocides, including sure. what happened to the blacks, to the Native Americans, to the Irish in this country, okay? And to other things. But I also showed why the Holocaust was unique. Uh, one of our speakers today talked about the fact that 11 million people were killed within a very short period of time. It never happened before. 11 million people were killed in what, about six years? Well, 52 million if you include all the soldiers. Oh, as a Holocaust. Of course, oh, yeah. that's yeah. that's the kind of fact that kids are, they can't believe that. See, that's not something in the past. If you teach about it within a context and then shows what show what makes it unique, then the students understand it. The problem is we're still teaching it and I'm not knocking Anne Frank's diary. Don't misunderstand me. But it's it's like one of my one of my my son said to me the other day. Okay, they're required to teach to kill a mockingbird, and a lot of schools are now saying no, we don't want to kill a mockingbird. These are the classics as we judge them. Anne Frank is a wonderful book. But to force every black child to read it in a certain grade level or every Hispanic child to read it, can they relate to it? Will they relate to it? Are there other ways of doing this? And that's what we have to explore. We, we have to find them. That's the that's point. Right. We have, that's okay, right. as a, the, we are the tree of life. I, I want to jump from, not to jump from, but to bring the Holocaust into the humanitarian crisis. As I show you, the Adam. Adam was our, our big boss, right? Uh, after after God. <laughs> God was the first boss. He was the assistant of the boss. And finally, what what other world would we are in? That means we 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 have we have to evaluate. We have to we have to evaluate at the beginning. We have to evaluate. We have a product, you know, and I'm sure the people who are in the business, they have a soap and they say, okay, this is the soap that I am going to sell, but in two years I have to make, to put more almond, uh, whatever in it, or more ingredient with it. That means, uh, and this is a common effort from, from everybody and it's not going to be uh, easy anyway, whatever. So I'd like to end our program and I'm gonna turn it back to Jackie for, for everyone to see her trailer. So Jackie, why don't you share? Your... Would you like to see it or do you have enough guys? It's already two hours, uh, I don't know. Well, you know, you know let's, let's put it this way. My name is Jackie Gmash, just write that, at We Are The Tree Of Life. 
one if you want my book which is a novel about love i will mail it to you it's not for sale because it talks about love it's available <laughs> and uh, jackygmash at hotmail.com send me an email i will send you the link of the i think it's i'm sure that people are done <laughs> put, put, it, put it in the chat what do you want me to put in the chat your email and your website that way everybody i'm going to make a spelling mistakes as i know me please don't take your time Good. thank you jeff very much for doing this we are the tree of and uh correct i'm sure we'll talk soon and oh yep beautiful Great. okay it's so small and it's not fun to be old uh, <laughs> i have to go all right thank you so much everybody I have thank you avi thank you jeffrey thank you jackie yes. we'll talk soon like a zoom mark like thank you mark you mark send me send me your your email i want to i want to ask you something sure, I'll send you too late. Right. okay thank you thank you bye bye